0: Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Free Movement Immigration Update podcast. This month I'm joined as ever by CJ McKinney, although we've just been saying before we got started on the recordings, this is probably his last ever. Normal update monthly podcast event. So, um, hi CJ, and it's been a pleasure doing this with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've really enjoyed it. It's been one of the most fun things about free movements, and people give us very nice feedback. So, hopefully, uh, you and my replacement will uh, continue and bring it on to bigger and better things.
0: Yes, we'll see. We'll see, and um, there'll be one more podcast we're expecting or hoping for anyway before you you um, you move on as editor. Um, but that'll be one of the kind of subject ones. So, um, so do listen out for that. Right, but coming back to this month, before I hand over to CJ again, we are covering a few different topics. We're going to talk about the Nationality and Borders Act 2022 coming into force and a few different things about that. Got some stuff on human rights to cover, Appendix FM, deportation, uh, item on Zambrano. Um, so we've got a few different things. Um As ever, if you are a lawyer, if you need your continuing professional development training and so on, then we offer a quiz to help you show that you're keeping up to date by listening to the podcast and then doing the quiz. So head over to freemovement.org.uk slash training if you want to sign up for that. Okay, CJ, over to you.
1: Great. The Nationality and Borders Act, a great many of its provisions came into force on the 28th of June, and there's been a whole heap of policies and guidance and things like that issued to uh, help make the new laws a reality on the ground. Uh, For example, there's a new application form and guidance on becoming a British citizen in special circumstances, uh, because that's a registration route along those lines opened up in the Borders Act. That's for people who were denied citizenship in the past because of of a historical unfairness. Uh, Similarly for British Overseas Territory citizenship, uh, there's new guidance on historic injustices for children born out of wedlock. The new stuff is not altogether nice and helpful for people, and uh, we'll focus today in particular on the differential treatment of refugees, which is a core idea behind the Act that People who arrive in the UK by small boat or other unauthorized means will live less happy lives in the UK than those who arrive through official channels. And that's even if they are recognized as genuine refugees, that the terms on which they get to stay will be worse is the idea. And we now have the details on what that differential treatment means in practice. There is a document called "Permission to Stay on a Protection Route for Asylum Claims Lodged on or After 28 June 2022." the title. Uh, Colin, you had a look through it, and your main takeaway was was maybe counterintuitive. You reckon it's not as bad actually as people feared or or expected.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of having difficulty expressing this. I think it, it is bad, um, and and it does it is going to cause uncertainty and unpleasantness for refugees, but. It's not so bad as to put anybody off coming here in the first place. And a lot of it's just utterly pointless. Um, So there had been some suggestion fairly on that if you – uh you fall into this group two refugee um you know we're not going to go over again what group two refugees are but it's kind of people arriving by irregular means and so on um that they would be prevented from employment which would be massive you know to 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 be in the uk and not to be able to work would be a big thing that 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 kind of was dropped very early the suggestion that they wouldn't be able to have access to public funds that has been dropped as far as we can see um you know that there has been some suggestion that the, the the home office might introduce that later there was also some suggestion they wouldn't have access to family reunion, but actually um, that they, they have to show that there will be insurmountable obstacles as so an additional test for them to meet. But if you're a refugee, there are obviously insurmountable obstacles to you going to your home country to join your family members. You can't. You're a refugee. That is an insurmountable obstacle. And also it's very unlikely you'd be able to go to a third country because what you know, there's no lawful immigration route that that's open to you and they wouldn't be able to sponsor you then they're, they're not legally resident in that third country and so on quite often so those those are sort of um, have fallen away really as major changes the big standout one which is unpleasant is, is that instead of um, getting settlement after five years it will be after 10 years and in the meantime you have to apply every two and a half years and and that's that that is I don't want to understate how unpleasant that is for refugees because it, it really Stops them from moving on you know it it it, it sort of this temporary status might well make them feel like they they have lack of security of residence and they can't really move on and 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 really sort of throw themselves into their new lives here but the the reality is that almost all of them will eventually settle you know the the, the, the even the home office policy itself says that in the vast majority of cases. Um, people will be granted extensions of leave Um, so why make them do this for 10 years and why give yourself all of this extra work to do if you're the home office and you've already got a massive and growing backlog it's just it's just nuts basically
1: yeah we already have that 10-year route to settlement for certain sort of family migrants and people who get to stay in the UK on the basis of their human rights and and the problems with it are are well known that as you say people can't move on they have to reapply every two and a half years and if they don't apply then they're you know back into uh, not having immigration status and they might have to restart the 10 years in, in those family human rights cases anyway um but what you're saying is that as things stand with this policy um, and it may change and it may you know the terms of conditions for group two refugees may get worse in future but right now what the policy says is the only two differences are the 10-year route to settlements and the on paper, restrictions on refugee family reunion, which may not turn out to be a real thing either.
0: Yeah, that, that 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 seems to be it. Yeah, and I sort of picked through the policy carefully. The the Home Office have put their own little table together, so you can compare them. Although they've cunningly switched around the order in the in the, you know, <laughs> really sort of thing that drives me nuts you know the you, you can't easily look at the table to compare things because they've put them in a different order in the two columns um but um but but yeah it, it's pretty straightforward that there's not much difference at the moment apart from this 10-year thing i think for, for refugees
1: yeah and we'll keep an eye on what might change in particular when it comes to benefits uh, access to public funds um whether that does change but but for now it uh, doesn't seem to have and um, these Downsides for Group 2 refugees apply equally to people with humanitarian protection status. Everyone getting humanitarian protection uh, in future is being hit with the, the tenure route to settlements and the family reunion stuff that apply to people with Group 2 temporary refugee permission. And there's no longer any such thing as sort of normal humanitarian protection status. Uh, all there is is the, the temporary version, as it were. So that will be the case for anyone who applies for asylum after the 28th of June, 2022. So people who got in under the wire will continue to get the old version for some time. But over time, humanitarian protection will be fully downgraded, which is a shame. I looked at the figures, about a thousand people a year get humanitarian protection. So much less of a big deal than refugee status, but it, it's not nothing.
0: No, and it's just equally pointless for them. And just, Home Office just making work themselves that they just don't need and making people's lives, you know, Just that little bit more unpleasant um, and, and sort of preventing them from getting on with their lives and integrating fully. It's just it's a really bad policy, really bad policy.
1: So differential treatment. Let's turn to people applying to stay in the UK on the basis of their human rights. We mentioned them just now. The rules on private life have been changed and if you have strong non-family ties to the UK, you have a private life human rights claim to stay. Those rules used to be in part seven of the immigration rules. Now they are in appendix private life. And there's new guidance uh, as well. Uh, all that came in on the 20th of June. Uh, we covered the changes to the private life rules uh, for children and young people on the recent podcast. So we, we won't go over that ground again. But just to be aware, if nothing else, that there has been this shakeup. So, uh, you know, pa- the famous paragraph two seven six ADE is no more, and um, all those rules, half of life, seven year children, so on, uh, uh, are in Appendix Private Life.
0: Yeah, which has caused a little bit of panic in the in the barrister community, at least. I've seen you know, uh, c- certain people suddenly worry that they can't find the paragraph. Where's it gone? And it's like, well, it, it's alright. Substantively, it, it's kind of still there with a few like, minor tweaks, but you know, it's not where you it's not where it used to be.
1: We also have an upper tribunal case on human rights in immigration appeals. Judges deciding human rights appeals are supposed to decide whether it's proportionate to remove someone from the UK. They take a balance sheet approach. So if you look at the person's ties to the UK on one side, the public interest in removing unauthorized migrants on the other, weigh up the different factors in the balance treaty decision. But in this case, what the judge did was assigned numerical points to those different factors so he said okay the, the pers- there's seven points for the public interest in removing them uh, and five points on the other side for difficulty reintegrating back into albanian society as it was in this case um, zero points for private life and there were more points on the side of removal uh, i think his conclusion was uh, so uh, that was the end of the appeal the upper tribunal said uh, no don't do that Uh, They refer to a mechanistic approach of a scoring system um, being inherently unsuitable uh, and judges should instead use the classic balancing sheets approach outlined in the case of Hesham Ali. So you list the pros and cons, you explain why one side outweighs the other rather than score them. Uh, So that judgment, KB Article 8, Points-Based Proportionality Assessment, Albania, 2022, UK UT 161 iac
0: yeah, the judge taking the points-based system a bit too literally there and hopefully not giving the Home Office ideas on um, how to rewrite the you know, family and private life rules so that there's certain you know, <laughs> scores are attached to certain factors or something like that. So hopefully, that's the, hopefully that'll be the death of that.
1: Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Appendix FM then, family migration. There is a new policy on when people can get family visas for free. This is the Entry Clearance Fee Waiver Policy, and it's for people applying under Appendix FM and a few other family type categories, uh, including armed forces families. Family visas, as we know, are super expensive, and the rule used to be you could only apply for a fee waiver in, in, quote, exceptional circumstances only, such as civil war or natural disaster. So now the rule is that you can get a waiver if you can credibly demonstrate that you can't afford the fee uh, or if you have children and your income is not sufficient to meet the child's need. So both the applicant's means and the sponsor's means will be assessed in the fee waiver application and you'd have to put in a load of evidence to show that you, you can't meet your essential living needs if you had to pay the fee, that you made some effort to save up in the past, that... You couldn't save up in future if you tried, so all sorts of, sort of barriers. But but the fundamental test, at least, is lower than in the past. Um, it is a separate application for a fee waiver from the underlying visa application, so it's it's all very time consuming. And, and Sonia, who wrote up the policy for us, suggests trying to get exceptional case funding for legal aid where that's possible. Uh, you, you can read more of her analysis on this on the website.
0: Yeah, it's it, this is a really useful policy. So it's probably not that many people that will ultimately benefit from it, but it will be really important to those who who do qualify. It's not straightforward to qualify. Um, I, I'd really recommend Sonia's um, quite detailed write-up. And she she points out that there's a lot more emphasis in this fee waiver policy on the, the possibility of saving up than in, in other sort of comparable policies, which is potentially problematic. And that's that's, you know, Fairly clearly, a route to refusal by by the Home Office, who are considering, uh, Home Office officials who are considering these applications, and of course, you know, it's, it's a reminder if we sort of just step back from this for a second, you know, this wouldn't be necessary. This kind of really detailed um, sort. Of, guidance where it's, it's going to be really hard for people to actually succeed with these applications they have to put a lot of evidence together it's hard to do that without a lawyer and you can't afford a lawyer in these circumstances and so on um this wouldn't all be necessary if the fees weren't so astronomically high um you know i don't think other countries have to deal with this sort of stuff because their fees aren't you know everybody really charges fees but they're just not as ridiculously high as the uk fees um so that's you know that is the fundamental reason behind this policy it's because the fees are quite as high as they are
1: we also have an upper tribunal case on Appendix FM, or, or rather Appendix FMSE, the rules on specified evidence in family applications. One of those rules is that all income and savings must be lawfully derived, which is which is fair enough. And in this case, there was an issue with the sponsor's income not being above boards. Uh, not it seems because he did anything uh, illegal, but uh, his employer seems to have taken him off the books uh, not paid employers national insurance etc so not necessarily his fault but um, his uh, employment wasn't uh, kosher and uh, the question was was his income um, as submitted in support of this family visa application lawfully derived Uh, the upper tribunal said yes it was and uh, declined to give a general ruling on the interpretation of this phrase lawfully derived judges should just look at the case in front of them, decide for themselves how to apply it in individual cases. So that uh, citation, Fatima, paragraph 1D, Appendix, FMSE, Interpretation, Pakistan, 2022,
0: UKUT155IAC. Yeah, really unhelpful case title, that one. Why they couldn't just mention lawfully deprived uh, is, is just beyond me. You know, it, it, Nobody's going to have a clue what that case is about from the title, whereas they could easily have just said lawfully derived income or something like that. But it, it, it's a useful little case. And it doesn't say a lot, but what it says is quite helpful for sort of shutting down uh, a, a not unusual home office argument along the lines that you've got to prove that everything was done exactly correctly by your employer as well as yourself. And that, you know, if there's any uh, potential discrepancies, that, that this, is, this is a problem you don't qualify. So, so it, it doesn't come up a lot, but it's, it, it's, it's, I think it's quite a useful case
1: deportation then and the supreme court has weighed in uh, again on the deportation rules one of the exceptions to deportation for people with medium level criminal convictions is referred to as the private life exception and um, this is for people for with convictions uh, sentences between uh, a year and 4 years and it applies where three conditions are met number one, the person was lawfully resident in the UK for more than half their life. Number two, they're socially and culturally integrated. And number three, there would be significant obstacles to reintegration in the country of return. This case concerns a very troubled Jamaican man who who arrived in the UK aged 10. The Supreme Court was looking here at the second of those three conditions, uh, in particular, socially and culturally integrated. Uh, What does that mean? And it held uh, that the meaning of that calls for a broad evaluative judgment. Um, the mere fact of being a criminal doesn't mean you're not integrated, um, and much more besides. Various findings on on that um, issue, and you, you said in your write up of the case column that this is now the case on the private life exception. So it, it'll need to be read quite carefully. Uh, it seems by lawyers who are invoking it in a deportation case. The uh, judgment, SC Jamaica. 2022 UKSC 15
0: Yeah it's it's a it's a useful and important case and I I don't think it changes the law on anything actually in, in a way but it does kind of put it all in one place and sort of confirms that things are the case and and this is a bit of a geeky one really but some of those some of that confirmation comes through concessions by the Home Office which aren't explicitly endorsed by the court interestingly Um, so I'm not going to go, you know, I've I've put it all in the blog post if you're interested in in sort of what's what with this, but, um, there, there is one point where the court, says that the concession was rightly made correct and, and the other concessions, that they're they silent on. Um, so it's kind of technically things weren't necessarily decided um, by the court as such. Um, but realistically, no, this is all recorded in a Supreme Court judgment now. So it's a good statement of what the law is. And um, it's, it's given me the chance to, to go back to one of my little um, kind of uh, legal, again, slightly geeky bugbears, which is the um, a Court of Appeal case from, from 2016, NA, Pakistan, which is a really welcome case but they essentially rewrote the statutory scheme of 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 the sort of deportation provisions in a good way um and it's just like well i it's it still amazes me that judges have been able to do that essentially it's just not how the law normally works and it's it's great that they did um and it's great now that the supreme court has implicitly endorsed it but on the basis of a concession by the home office rather than actually doing it themselves, if you see what I mean, so that's all that's all quite good and then there's some quite good material on you know this kind of integration stuff and the potential pitfalls around that you know which as, as I say in the blog post in the kind of really racially charged area of immigration control, a word like integration is very loaded there's there's real potential for people to slip into unconscious race discrimination with something like that and i i think arguably we saw that with the akinyemi um litigation and that's you know for those who who, who don't follow this uh, that closely it's a it's a man who was um he was black he was literally born in the uk but just after the commencement of the british national anti-act 1981 so he wasn't born a british citizen and um you know he it was said that he wasn't integrated into British society, having lived here literally all of his life with most of his family being British, but a lot of them by birth because of the skin the color of his skin one suspects i mean, I'm sure the judges never thought of it in that way themselves but it's it's hard to think that 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 wasn't something that somehow influenced um influenced that decision frankly so it, it's a pretty good decision, and it's you know it's not super progressive or anything like that, but um it doesn't make things worse, which is quite quite good with the Supreme Court as it stands, and they endorse some useful concessions by the Secretary of State, essentially, and also a couple of passages from some quite useful Court of Appeal cases. The um, Kamara uh, quote from Sales, um, Lord Justice Sales, um, who's not known for his um, Useful quotes to, to, to put in skeleton arguments on behalf of claimants, but um, but but you know there is a, a quote certainly I use as standard in, in in my skeletons on this, and also a, a judgment called CI Nigeria, which is which is useful from Lord um, Justice Leggett. So um, it, overall, uh, I, I think it, it, it's a pretty good case in all the circumstances, basically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So SC Jamaica, the private life exception to deportation. Let's go to the Court of Appeal and uh, a more niche deportation issue, uh, criminal convictions in foreign jurisdictions. How do they factor into deportation proceedings in the UK? So the chap in this case had been convicted of something in Italy. Uh, The judgment doesn't say, but it was serious. Uh, He then moved to the UK. The Home Office wished to deport him. The starting point here is that a foreign conviction doesn't trigger automatic deportation and the various exceptions that we've just been discussing, the the three uh, tiers and the private life exception and and all that. Uh, Instead, what you just have to do is a sort of old school uh, Article 8 balancing exercise, weigh the pros and cons, is it proportionate to deport the person or not. Lord Justice Lewis has some guidance on factors to take into account when you are doing that common sense stuff uh, in the main uh, the seriousness of the offense difficulties reintegrating if deported etc etc so the if you have a case involving a, um, a foreign conviction you're n- you're not dealing with the normal um, deportation rules it's, it's a sort it's of freestanding article 8 case this is worth looking at um it is the case of Durani and Secretary of State for the Home Department 2022 ewCA Civ 779.
0: Yeah, I, I've got nothing really to add on this one. I mean, it, it's kind of, um, it, it's, it's quite old school, ultimately, you know, sort of going back to the days that many of us remember, that of sort of predate all of the kind of uh, checklist approach that was introduced in 2014. Um, so it's not to say that it's easy, you know, and this, this just shows that the kind of pre-existing um, deportation powers and the approach to deportation um, still exists. It's just that it's been kind of overlaid with certain extra triggers that apply. So you know, the, 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 yeah, it's it's not easy to resist deportation, but um, but you, it's not the same as applying the kind of um, you know that that like that, that infographic that we have of sort of explaining what your roots are to to potentially meeting the ex- exceptions and so on.
1: And there's been a deportation case in the upper tribunal this month as well. This involved a who was deported for drug offences in 2016 uh, before he could exercise his right to appeal. A judge later ruled that was unfair, so he was brought back, had his deportation appeal in person, uh, but ultimately lost. Uh, so he now has come back before the tribunal to argue that the premature removal to Jamaica uh, was a breach of Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, but the tribunal said uh, no, you lost your appeal there was no breach of your substantive rights uh, so you can't now complain that the process was a breach of your procedural rights uh, so that was a case of watson section 94b process section 25 powers 2022 UKUT 156 iac
0: yeah i have nothing nothing really to add on this one it's kind of it is what it is An update on
1: Zambrano cases. This is non EU carers of British children uh, who've been arguing for the right to apply for settlement in the UK under the EU settlement scheme. Zambrano carers won a victory of sorts in the case of Akinsania a few months back, and the Home Office was forced to reconsider uh, letting Zambrano carers use the settlement scheme. Uh, So now they have reconsidered and they still say no. Uh, The only Zambrano carers who can use the EU settlement scheme are people without existing immigration permission, which is a shame, but I I think that's pretty much it. Um, Not much more to say. The the Zambrano carers who do qualify for the settlement scheme, so that's just those with no existing immigration permission, they're being allowed to apply to the uh, settlement scheme until the 25th of July Without being penalised for a late application, so there's a short window of opportunity for some some people who may yet benefit from the scheme, uh, but most people, uh, it seems, will will not benefit from that.
0: Yeah, it's a really disappointing um, outcome to, to litigation that looked quite promising at one point, and um, it's another one of those sort of policy errors where you just think, well, what is the Home Office trying to achieve here? Um, because it's not as if it's going to remove these people. You know, the number of enforced removals is so low it's just kind of forcing them into sort of destitution and a really vulnerable kind of legal no status situation um and i guess that's that's they must know that that's all that's going to happen and that actually they're making these people even more vulnerable and i i guess suppose we have to assume that that's That's the point. It makes them removable if they do get into trouble later, if they do somehow come to the Home Office's attention. But the Home Office isn't likely to take any active steps to actually remove them.
1: Finally, Rwanda. On our last podcast, the first flight to send asylum seekers to Rwanda was still in the future. It ended up not going ahead, as is pretty widely known. Uh, Most people were pulled by Home Office decision makers and the rest were blocked by a last-minute injunction from the European Court of Human Rights. The Guardian now reports that the Home Office may be planning another flight in the coming weeks before a High Court challenge to the legality of the Rwanda policy is is even decided, which seems a little odd given that that the whole premise behind the European Court injunction was that the government needs to wait until the High Court has weighed in on this. Um, So, I mean, the details of the story seem like it's not 100 percent certain there'll be such a flight there was just a suggestion in court by uh, home office council that there there may be uh, as far as we're aware at the moment um free movement contributor jed pennington is uh, involved in the rwanda litigation and he's written an article uh, on uh, how to respond to removal notices telling people they're being lined up for uh to, to go to rwanda so that's useful information for lawyers who do have clients in that position um, now or, or in future because you know if the policy is real legal we'll be dealing with rwanda removal notices for for some time and the consequences are obviously very serious so um the article is on the website um a lot now rests on this high court case it's listed for the 19th of july and the home office has instructed none other than david panick UC for that hearing so we'll have to see how that turns out
0: yeah that blog post was um subject of a um less than less than fulsome endorsement should we say by the express i think wasn't it um they kind of wrote it up as um in a rather uh, unhelpful way I, i i've 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 heard a rumor that there's a charter flight um potentially being arranged for the 20th of july it's it's really hard to know what's true and what's not it's it's all a bit kind of um feverish but um but that, that may be the case and that obviously coincides with the next hearing to actually sort of run the charter flight in the middle of the hearing would be quite remarkable, but also absolutely par for the course for Pretty Patel's home office. Um, you know, a lot of the lawyers would be engaged um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and the judges probably be a bit unimpressed, whether they'd say so or not, I don't know. But we'll have to see, you know, and as as we're recording this, Boris Johnson's just resigned as Prime Minister. It seems likely there might be a new Home Secretary at some point, although, you know, we have no idea how long johnson's actually going to be in office you know, if, if he carries on until the autumn like he seems to want to i guess Pretty patel stays as well if somebody comes in as a caretaker i guess she stays for the meantime as well i so who's going who's going and when or what's going on we we have to just wait and see
1: yeah i think it's uh, you know people like to discuss the personalities and, and obviously the home secretary is the embodiment of the home office but i suppose it by no means follows at all that A change of home secretary means a a change in policy on Rwanda or anything else. Um, So even if there is a change of personnel, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything would change at the Home
0: Office. No, and there are people who are potentially worse than Priti Patel. But, um, you know, if if a more liberal figure within the the sort of Conservative um, Party were to become Prime Minister, we might expect perhaps a more more liberal figure to come in as home secretary or maybe go the other way you know maybe they'll be looking for somebody even more hardline to to sort of uh hold, hold the line on, on on the right or something who knows okay well i think that wraps things up for this month um cj it's been a pleasure doing these with you thank you so much for your your contribution and um yeah we'll all we'll listen out for your your hopefully your your last and final podcast in uh, in another couple of weeks before you you disappear as editor thanks colin thanks everybody and goodbye